welcome to Legal Light, where we discuss everything e-discovery. Legal Light is brought to you by Altlaw e-discovery, the UK's leading independent e-discovery service provider, and your host, Matt Altes, CEO and founder of Altlaw e-discovery. Hello again, welcome to Legal Light, the e-discovery video blog and podcast, where we discuss everything e-discovery. My name is Matt Altes, CEO and founder of Altlaw e-discovery. On today's show, we have a very special guest, Mr. Kent Teague. He's the owner and vice chairman of Leighton Orient Football Club. Now, what does a football club have to do with e-discovery, I hear you ask? Stay tuned, you'll find out. So Kent, welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to see you. It's always really good to see you. It's always a pleasure to see you. And thank you so much for coming across. Sure, Mind absolutely. you, didn't have to come far, did you? Uh, no, only from Texas, so not too far. Only nine hours, not not that bad. But you mean from Layton? Yeah, not, not, not bad at all. So yeah, when I'm here, I stay in Layton. It's it's fantastic. Well, of course, everybody over here knows you as that Texan that came over, bought yeah. Layton Orient Football Club, right. turned its fortunes around. Correct. But you're actually um, your your background's all about technology, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, I'm Tell a tech guy. That. So, you know, with a late, from the Leighton Orient perspective, it's just always something that I wanted to do, be involved in professional sports. And um, I've been known to help turn around situations or start up companies. Um, and so Leighton Orient was, you know, in that same vein. Uh, we have gotten it turned around. We're on a proper project trajectory now, but we still have a lot of work to do. A football club never ceases to need uh, care and attention. Um, and my technology background is really more about the fact that uh, when I was very young, I learned how to do software development. I wrote some software. That software happened to take a company public. And then I went to work for Microsoft and I worked um, in the retail uh, area for Microsoft. I was in charge of all retail customers worldwide. Mm -hmm. So point of sales and all of that, that was the things that I was focused on from a retail perspective. Uh, did some work in a company that did uh, what we call managed hosting. Today, you would call it the cloud. It's where the cloud right. physically exists. Um, and we built that company. We started that company in around 97 or 98. Uh, and we, uh, you know, sold out of that business in um, 07, 08, 06, 07, 08. Right in there, there were multiple outs. Um, I've uh, built uh, ships. In, uh, in the Italian shipyards. Um, I've done all kinds of other things, but primarily I am a technology, tech leverage, software style guy. And in 2007, mm -hmm. you started Iris Data yeah. Services. There were a group of us, right. And yeah. a discovery company. Correct. What led you from that to eDiscovery? Yeah, so what happened was is that I have a friend of mine who called me and he said, I've, you know, I, I know about this litigation support situation and, you know, this is back in 04 or 05. Right. And normally what happens is, is that the legal hold on information normally lasts anywhere from seven to 10 years. You need to keep up with all the information. So in case something happens, you can go back and, you know, produce that information. And I had a really good friend of mine at Microsoft who was in charge of the SQL spec mm -hmm. and was, well, a co-author of the SQL spec, a co-author of the Exchange spec, and a co-author of the Outlook spec. And he indicated to me, did I understand 
how much information had been documented electronically from 1995 through 2005 in that 10 years. And back then, we thought it was a tremendous amount of information that had been documented from a technology perspective, Word, Excel, you know, Microsoft PST files and, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, texting hadn't really started yet. Uh, we were just on the verge of getting that. And so he said to me, this litigation support, if you, if we can figure out a way to be the nerds behind the law firm who are supporting the corporate client, we could build a business, a really nice business around the idea that we're the ones who help them get all of the information they need and that we can do it in a forensics manner that the courts will look at and say, okay, these are the emails and they have been deleted or they haven't been deleted or whatever. And this is the, you know, this is the information set that really we need to have reviewed and looked at and then, you know, produced to the other side. So that's, that's kind of a friend of my, kind of like Leighton Orient, a friend of mine says, hey, this might be something you really want to look at. And I end up getting involved in it. I often hear that uh, um, it's, it's often speculated that Microsoft themselves will eventually get into a discovery. Uh, I, I, I kind of doubt that. And the, and the reason is, is that Microsoft is such a horizontally oriented company. They are really a plumbing company. They look at the world through a very horizontal view. And horizontal companies like Google and Apple and, um, you know, uh, people like that, uh, database companies, they see the world through this view. And it's a lot like saying, I think that the plumbing company is going to build a hospital. Well, Maybe, but probably not, right. because the plumbing company is so interested in the plumbing infrastructure of the city that they wouldn't necessarily go build a manufacturing facility or a hospital, healthcare, or retail, or any of these other things, because they're so focused on the horizontal. So Microsoft comes out with a mouse, they come out with a keyboard, they come out with an Xbox, they come out with all of these more horizontally oriented um, and architected solutions so that they can compete against other horizontal companies. So for them to get into healthcare or retail or legal, um, it's possible that they could do it in a certain way, but I don't think it would have as big of an impact because the law firm wants a different level of support than calling up and asking about Word or Excel or PowerPoint sure. or something like that. Sure. And so Microsoft's not built to be a technology service company like most people are in mm -hmm. litigation or in legal technology or, or legal uh, technology leverage companies. They're not built the same way, and so they would have a hard time adjusting to that I paradigm see. or that model. I and see. it doesn't mean they wouldn't do it. They certainly have the money to do it. But the question is, and this would be at the board level that Bill would be asking, is this worth the risk, and can we get the appropriate return he's, on he's investment? On, he's on next week. 
Yeah. Just oh, okay. That, that's great. <laughs> Tell him I said hi. And thanks for the Christmas card. <laughs> <laughs> now, going back to Iris. Sure. Between 2007 when you founded it. Sure. And 2011, you were offering e-discovery services much like we, we always were and sure, we, we still was. are. Right, right, right. But in 2011, you switched and you became a bit of a market disruptor. Correct. Tell us about that. So what happened was is that we were unhappy with our ability to solidify a relationship with a lit support a group and a, specifically a lit support manager or, a lit, or the litigation lawyer uh, in a law firm. Mm -hmm. And so what we focused on was what could we trade or how could we build something for them that they could use um, and that, that they would be happy to pay for on a contracted basis. So we were trying to shift from project-based revenue to contracted-based revenue. We were growing very quickly. We were on the Inc. 500, which is the list of the 500 fastest growing companies in America. And we knew that we had solid ability, but we were also being asked by some of our primary customers, can we have a different relationship and is it possible that as opposed to us giving you the information and you run the projects, is it possible that we give you the information and we run the projects? So we built out this managed service offering primarily focused on two strategies. Number one, a law firm doesn't want to get involved in capital expenditures. So is there a way for us to take on the CapEx risk and have the law firm not have a CapEx risk. So in their litigation support area, they don't have to go out and buy all the computers and relativity right. and all the software and all the hardware and all the, you know, NUICs and all those things. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so then we tested it with these firms and they were like, oh yeah, no, that would be fantastic. And then the, the thing that get, became difficult was can we trust you from a contracted revenue perspective? So initially, the deals that we signed had a pretty short contract fuse on them in case we didn't do well. Yep. Uh, but it worked out really well. And we were, we had captured about 20 of the AMLAW 200, and we were in negotiations with 50 of the AMLAW uh, 200. And that's when people, other people in the industry said, we have got to either slow these people down or stop them or own them or something. Yep. Um, and then that's, that's when we, you know, kind of, we were acquired. Yeah. We, um, we manage a few of these instances with, with law firms in London, mm -hmm. but on the whole, particularly in our market, we deal more with the small to medium sized litigation focused sure. law firms over here. Sure. And the focus on costs seems to be very granular. It's attached to a particular project as opposed Correct. to, you know, the firm that want to own that cost. Correct. Um, how did you find, because you were over here for a short while before you were acquired, how right. did you find? Well, that that is a global phenomenon. And the reason is, is that the law firm needs to be able to accurately and appropriately bill their customers right. for work that's done on their behalf. Mm -hmm. um, so there were there are sort of two answers to that. First of all, I don't think that we had a tremendous impact in the UK. I'm not sure that we had a lot of adoption. That adoption was maybe a little bit slower for us. And the market has moved on. You know, we're talking this is now, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago. 
Um, the other thing I would say is, is that we ended up spending a lot of time on building software that did project tracking so that we could actually help from a computer usage perspective. We could help the law firm understand how many cycles or how much time they were really spending. Because when you charge them, it's kind of like, I'm going to rent you this space. Yeah. You know, you have to, they have to know, okay, but how many loaves of bread went through the factory and how many loaves of bread went over here and how many loaves of bread went over there? And that's what we kind of had to figure out. And was it an exact science? Probably not. It might have been, a, you know, it was close, but it was close enough. And so those were the, that, that was the biggest determinant of, okay, how do we convert this flat rate model that you're charging the law firm into the appropriate cost model for their customers? You still keep your eye on e-discovery? I do. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> I can't help it. I've got so many friends who it's in the blood. I want, uh, yeah, want us or some of us to be back involved, but you know, it is what it is. So having been a disruptor in our market. Yes. If you come back in, when you come back in. Right. Um, where do you see it going? Well, I think that it'll be very interesting because the amount of information that's available now, you know, we thought we wrote a lot of emails back then. And yeah. We did, but nothing like what's happening today. Uh, texting is an incredible phenomenon. Um, you've got so many different formats of texting, everything from WhatsApp. To, so you've had this explosion of what I would call communication technology. Uh, people have multiple email addresses. They have multiple phones. They have multiple texting outlets. They have, you know, they have multiple, uh, multiple environments where they've got threads running in certain environments and they've got conversations going on and conversations are constant. And speech to text has come on as an ability that we didn't have years ago. And the, the speech to text has gotten so much better. It actually understands my Texas accent, which initially it had no idea what I was saying, which can be both good and bad. And so speech to text means that all of these voicemails that we leave and all of these conversations that may be recorded or may be published on YouTube or wherever, that all of a sudden all of this information is now available and could be relevant uh, to the situation. So there's so much more massive amounts of information that's all got to be considered. So I think we've got a lot of work to do in the legal space around analytics and trying to get this massive amount of information down to a manageable subset. And in some cases you can't get to a manageable subset and so you've just got to go 365, 24-7 around the globe and you've got to have data centers and review centers going all the time, which is a different set of pressure because that means that you never get to take your system down. It has to go now and now and now and now, and it can't be slow and it can't drop. So it's it's a fast, as technology advances, um, it causes more challenges, but it also creates more opportunities. Can we come back to Lazy Moore? Sure. Yeah. I, love, I absolutely big love, I do. <laughs> no, it's, 
It's it's the craziest thing ever. Yeah. I read that when you came over and you took it over, mm. um, you really inherited um, a complete bag of worms. And uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. You didn't have a. There wasn't much of a bag, but <laughs> yeah, there were only a few worms. <laughs> you, you didn't have an operating bank account. Most the, of the, the club staff, did not have an operating bank account. That is most correct. of the staff and the players were paid in cash. Um, exactly how they were paid, I. I wouldn't want to comment on, but um, yeah, they, they, they had, we didn't have an operating bank account at the club because the club had overdrawn so many times that the banking institutions uh, here in the UK wouldn't give them another account and they had satellite accounts. And so they were moving money and it was a, uh, it was interesting. And I heard you way. only had nine players. Now we I'm did. not, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not, I don't know well, the math. about yeah, the math. football, but the, I, I thought you had to have 11. Yeah, they're, they're usually you try to have 11 on the pitch. Every once in a while you'll get a red card and there might be 10. And sometimes I've even seen them go to nine. Uh, yeah, we only had nine players. They were all under 20 that were contracted. And the reason was is that we had been relegated the year before and there were automatic termination clauses in a lot of the contracts because when a group of people get uh, relegated, uh, their contract automatically goes away. So we didn't have, yeah, we didn't have enough players. We didn't have an operating bank account. We didn't have, uh, yeah, a lot of things. Um, when we went into Lake Norient the first month or so, we made a list of all the different areas of the club. And we made a list of all the things that needed to happen in all the different areas of the club. And there wasn't a single area of the club and of the business everything from sales and marketing to production to training to players to coaches to anything anything you can think of in generic business and in the football club there was not a single area where we said thank goodness we don't have to work on that every area needed some level of focus and for us fortunately uh, Nigel Travis put together a great team of people who sat on our board and helped us run the club. And we worked our way out of all that. A lot of the credit goes to Martin Ling. A lot of the credit goes to Marshall Taylor, who was our interim CEO. A lot of the credit goes to Nigel Travis for just, you know, getting knee deep or elbow deep and elbow grease where you're just like, we've got to get this done today and we've got to get this paid. And you just, we just did what we had to do to get the business back up. Two years later, we get promoted and, you know, I was going to say you had and a fantastic and it, result yeah, last year. And, and that's, that's the great part about turnarounds is that sometimes you find them in such a horrible state that you just can't, you can't make it worse. It can only get better. Yeah. And, but for us, we certainly did not expect for it to turn around as quickly as it did, but we are very pleased primarily for the fans and the players and the coaches and our staff for how great it has been the last couple of years. Yeah. I read something yesterday that made me laugh. Uh, when the fans <laughs> call you a savior and you say, don't, don't, don't call me that. Don't, please don't call me that. My mother doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah, my mom doesn't like the way we treated the last one. That's what I say. <laughs> and, you know, eventually the way we treated him is pretty bad. And so, yeah, my mom doesn't. Um, you know, the thing is, is that I'm not a savior. I'm just not. I'm just a guy. I'm just Kent. And that's what they call me most of the time. I'm just Kent. And, you know, I, I, I have some things I'm pretty good at. Uh, that happened to be one of them, uh, this turnaround type thing. And, you know, we had principles that we built 
at Microsoft. We had principles that we built at Vera Center. We had principles that we used at Iris. I have principles that I use in my life and with my family. And, and you know, those generic principles, they work when you work them. So I just try to be very balanced and caring and loving. And, and like you've said uh, before, you know, I've, I've tried to put karma on my side yeah. as opposed to being against me. And, you know, it's just worked out. And so I'm very happy for everyone involved at Leighton Orient Football Club that, you know, we got to where we got last summer. Um, we're not where we want to be this year and we got work to do and, you know, all that. But, uh, you know, that's part of uh, a football club is they, they just, you know, un, no offense to the Arsenal fans, but most people don't, you know, finish in the top four, you know, 20 years in a row. But, you know, that, they, can, they can moan about that when they, when they want to. You famously said you'll probably lose all the money. Oh, uh, no, it's already all gone. It's all so, gone. God's all gone. So you may as well just say it's gone. You said it's better to do it that way than to say, least, well, I'll try to get some of it back or I'll figure it out. Yeah. But you said at least you loved your, enjoyed your life. Yeah, no, it's, it's not, um, you know, Leighton Orient is not, was not about making money. It was about doing something I'd always wanted to do. You know, some people, they want to go see the Great Wall of China or they want to go and they want to experience a certain, you know, Gordon Ramsay's got some dish they have to have right. and they have to have <clears throat> Gordon Ramsay make it. Or, you know, they, they, there's a bucket, there's like these bucket lists and you make this bucket list and, you know, and I've got bucket lists and I've got lists of lists of lists of lists. And this was on my list. And, Sometimes money matters and sometimes money doesn't. And in this particular case, it matters, but it doesn't matter as much as the experience of being involved in. And I'll, for me, it's being involved in a place where I know I've made a difference and that difference has made a difference to a group of people or a community of people. And, you know, they have really enjoyed it too. Well, you're really plugged into the community. I mean, um, whenever I want to meet you, I'm often relegated by some school or something. Yeah. You're constantly well, at the morning. schools. You're, you're yeah. constantly appearing in their, their morning assemblies sure. or having them as guests yeah. to the club. Yeah, absolutely. A community is a big part of that layer of football. And being involved in the community um, and having something to say I have a unique voice uh, in, in Waltham Forest Borough, but the only reason I have that voice is because my accent is so distinct and the kids absolutely love it because I'm kind of one of them. And so it's just a lot of fun to help them understand that people are pretty much the same around the world. Kids are pretty much the yeah. same around the world. As we a very all, diverse area. Yeah, really and, anyway, but it's so. very diverse. Yeah. And that we all face kind of the same doubts and fears and issues and laughter and joy and family and, and that there is no perfect anything, but we're all just trying to figure it out. And, mm -hmm. they, and, they, and they take to it. They take to it. They take to it because it's late and orient. Then they take to it because I don't sound right. And, you know, so it's all good. You, oddly enough, you, you never actually say to them, work hard and do well at school, get good results and everything will be okay. You talk more about making a difference, uh, persistence, right. resilience. Well, the, cha the challenge is, is that in school, you know, the vast majority of kids don't make what we call straight A's. No. You just don't, right? I've got 
you know, I've got a daughter and she's almost made straight A's in college and that's like impossible. So what happens is, is that when you're a kid and you're learning something new, you think everything should come easy to Mm -hmm. me or else I'm a failure. And so what I want to try to get over to them is that what wins the day is persistence. I really think that Iris was primarily successful and Microsoft's been primarily successful. These other companies have been primarily successful just because we kept staying in the game. We just didn't give up. We just were very persistent. Um, Innovative, yes. Persistent, mainly. And I think for kids and for family members and for people that I get the chance to talk to, my request is if you really want something, just keep working at it. Get a little better every day. And the next thing you know, you you show up and you're like, huh, I didn't realize it. We won the league. And that's, but that's how it works. Get a little better every day, but you have to be persistent. I think in our technological world that we have today, Facebook and Snap and Twitter make it look like everybody is successful all the time. Yeah. And so persistence is something that people are not required. (laughs) No, I know. I understand, right? We want to put on the best face, but the reason that we're successful, primarily most of us, is not due to natural talent. No offense. Maybe not Ronaldo. Okay. But most of us are successful because we are persistent and we just don't know how to give up. And that's what I ask children to do, and I ask our people that I've worked with in the past is, just don't give up, just keep going. Yeah, I know you had a bad day, or yeah, I know you got a bad result, but let's get back to it, let's get better. And I think it's a great message, because everybody can do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the thing is, is that there's there's no person that I know that is fantastic at everything. Uh We're all great at some things. Everybody's great at something. I mean, I know some people don't think they're great at anything, but they are. They have a natural talent for something, and they're great at it. Most of us are pretty good at a number of things, and then some of us are just horrible at some things. You know, some are horrible at math, some are horrible at science, some are horrible at geography or geometry or whatever. Right. But that doesn't mean that you can't be great just because you're not great at everything. In fact, I think that it's easier to be great when you know what you're great at and you just go do that all the time. And you do that in a way that's helpful for other people. And so you're focused on how can I help you? How can I help you? This is the way that I can contribute to you. Mm -hmm. And I need you and everybody else to contribute to me because I'm not great at all these other things. That's how I think the world works. And I think that's how it was set up. And I think it's fantastically designed to be that way. And I'm okay with the fact that I'm just Kent. So it's all good. That's how I look at it. Um, we have a, a spot we, we, we do with oh, all of our guests. Now we're going to do generic knowledge and I have none. <laughs> I'm horrible at this stuff. We, Did we, I know or who do I know or something? <laughs> it's called, Did You Know? And so Did I know? Where okay. we ask you something that the wider world won't know about Kent T. Oh, so, this. Oh, you want me to do it? Did you know crazies? Kent okay. Teague. Did you know that Kent Teague, when he was a child, wanted to win so bad that he marked a deck of cards so he could win Go Fish against his sisters? Well, now that is, 
incredibly You've just admitted to terrible. the cheats. I know. I I will cheat. I would have. I'm not as good at cheating anymore because I'm not as smart as I was back then. But you know, I was so driven to win and wanted to win so bad that I would do almost anything even at the detriment of my sisters. And it's interesting because now, you know, 40, 50 years later, I have these conversations with my sisters about, yeah, I used to cheat at this and I used to cheat at that. And they, they all thought, man, I just never thought I was any good at anything. And you were just great at everything. You were just always winning. And, you know, I just had that. I think, I think another thing that people would be amazed at is, is that when I was in my 20s, um, I was a licensed real estate broker. So I was licensed to sell real estate to other people to help them buy real estate. Um, and I was a licensed commodity broker so I could sell you commodities and options. Did you and, actually do any of these yeah, jobs? Yes, I did. Yeah. I did. When I was in college, I sold real estate one summer just to, you know, I got my accreditation and then made money and learned how to do it and did all that. I did some commodity brokering. Uh, stuff and you know I'm a licensed pilot, which most people wouldn't think is yeah, yeah yeah an IFR I'm IFR twin twin engine rated pilot. Wow. So if something happens to the to the pilots on the plane, you and I are getting us down. <laughs> we're getting down. We're that, not we're not we're not we're not coming that we're that, we're gonna that's land. My we're fantasy gonna land. as we're heading down the runway, hurtling <laughs> down. That's my fantasy that somebody comes over to Tando and says, Is there a pilot on board? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I can do it. I can do it. And the only reason is because I know how to talk to those people who are gonna tell me what to do. Um, you know, there are lots of things that I've had the pleasure of doing in life. Um, I my 40th birthday party happened to be uh, in Rio de Janeiro, uh, an all guys trip, which my wife is reticent to not remind me of at times. And I was in a samba club. So I danced in the stadium as a 40 year old, uh, in their national stadium and was interviewed on Brazilian TV because I did not look like any of the rest of the dancers in the samba club. Um, you know, stuff like that, that I've done that, uh, you know, most people wouldn't know about. But, you know, I've had a phenomenal run of luck uh, and a phenomenal run of hard work. Uh, and, you know, so little stuff like that. I love the saying, you make your own luck and the harder you work, the luckier you get. I do think that's true. Um, I do think that's true. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been great. It's been great. Ken, it's been great having you here. Yep. Thank you so Enjoyed much for coming much. across. Yeah, always great seeing you. Really, you come back again one day? Absolutely. Brilliant. Absolutely. All right, thank you. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Legal Light, the eDiscovery video blog and podcast. We've got many more episodes lined up with some very, very special guests joining us. So if you want to be notified, don't forget to hit the bell, subscribe, comment, and like. We'll see you soon. Legal Light was brought to you by Altlaw eDiscovery the UK's leading independent e-discovery service provider. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to like, comment and share, and please leave us a review. For more information on our products and services, visit www.altlaw.co.uk. That's www.altlaw.co.uk.